Hallelujah. Father, we make that our prayer this day, that your Holy Spirit will kindle once again the holy fire in our souls and in our spirits, that we may be salt and light in our world, that we may be like a city that is set upon a hill that cannot be hidden, that we may carry the glory of the begotten Son of God into our world, that there will be transformation in our communities. Father, we ask that that fire be kindled in us again today. As we come together as your church, to listen to your word, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be quickened. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that revelation will come, that your word will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. That at the end of this service, as we go away from here, that our lives will never remain the same. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Please be seated. Please be seated well. It's a good afternoon, Kensington Temple. Uh, it's good to be back with you here uh, in 2014. If I haven't seen you this year, I been, think I've been here a couple of times, then it's Happy New Year to you even though it's in February. Amen. And for those of our, our people across the road there in Coronet, we say thank you for joining us. It's good to see you there across the road. And if you're downstairs in the overflow or behind me in the overflow, we welcome you. And especially those of you who are watching on the internet uh, live or you are downloading, we welcome you into our midst today. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. If you got your Bibles with you this uh, afternoon, please go with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to read the first 10 verses. Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 1. The title of my message is God's Master Plan, the Church. God's Master Plan, the Church. The Church is God's Master Plan. Amen. Ephesians 2, chapter, Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the cause of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now walks in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding richness of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepare beforehand 
that we should walk in them. Amen. My message this morning is inspired by one of the messages that Pastor Colin preached in Nigeria when we were there last year, towards the end of last year. And in that message that he preached in my home church in Nigeria, he said to the congregation that God has only one plan. And that plan is known as plan A. God has no plan B. In the scheme of things with God, he has no other plan but plan A. And at the center of that plan is his church. So God's plan for our dying world, our decaying world, our, our godless world is the church. God's solution to everything that is happening around us is the church. And we know that the church is not an organization. Yes, that is the Church of England. Yes, this is Kensington Temple. We know that the church is not this building. The church is a gathering of the people of God who have been called out from the world into fellowship with Christ. And so the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in his name. He's there. We're two or two, three are gathered together in my name. Jesus said, I am there in the army. So the twos and the threes and the cells and the celebration and the congregation or convocation, that is the church of Jesus Christ. It's not the building. It's the people. And so if the church is God's master plan, that means you and I are involved in that master plan. We are God's solution to our world. We are the only plan that he's got. No wonder in Ephesians, Paul describes the church as the body of Christ. With your body, you do everything that you want to do. With your body. And with his body, Christ wants to do everything that he wants to do in our world. And so the church, when we gather together as the church, we are very, very important people to the plans and the purposes of God. And in the passage that we just read, the Bible says that God wants to show through his church his mercies and his love. His, this world needs God's love. This world needs his mercies. And God wants to do that through us as the church. And if you go over to chapter 3, verse 10, let's look at some, one other thing Paul tells us here. Chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 10, he says, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. God not only wants to show his mercies and his grace to our dying world, through us, his church, he also wants to show his manifold wisdom, his multifaceted wisdom, his complicated wisdom through us to the world. No wonder Paul says that he hasn't called the wise. He's called the foolish things of this world to shame the wisdom of the world. His multifaceted wisdom, his multifaceted power, he wants to show through us. And if you go back with me to chapter 1, and let's look at verse 22, 
chapter 1, verse 22. The Bible, Paul was talking about how Christ has been raised uh, uh, above principalities and powers and so on. And then he comes to verse 22 and he says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. God raised Jesus from the dead and took him to the place of coronation, to, be, to the place where he became king and lord of all for the purposes and the benefits of the church. Wow. That blows my mind. That everything God is doing, we as his church, we are right there at the center of it. And so if God has purpose from eternity past, because that was where Paul started in chapter 1. He began to tell us in chapter 1 that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly place. So blessed be God of, of, of our Father Jesus Christ because he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. He's predestinated us. He's adopted us. He's lifted us. He's done so many things for us. And then from verse 15 to 22, he began to tell us how God has given us every power that he's got. Resurrection power. That God came down and exerted this power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. His ultimate power, his dynamic power, his endowed power. All of the powers contained in God, he exerted when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And Paul says, I am crucified with, 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 with Christ. Nevertheless, I live for every one of us who is born again, if you are born again, if you are born of the Spirit, if you are a child of God, you are already resurrected spiritually. Oh yes, you are. We are waiting for the second resurrection bodily. One of the things that is uh, probably misunderstood in the Bible is this eternal life. A lot of people think that we only have eternal life when we get to heaven. That's not true. If you are a child of God, you are born again, you are born of the Spirit of God. <laughs> you have been blood washed and blood bought. You already have eternal life. You have eternal life. Jesus said to them, he said, what is eternal life in John? It's to know you, the one and only God and Christ whom you sent. That's eternal life. If you know Jesus, please understand me. I'm not talking about knowing about Jesus. <laughs> There's a difference between knowing Jesus for yourself and knowing about Jesus. There's a difference between having a relationship with God through Jesus as to going to church. I'm a church goer. There's a difference from, uh, I don't do evil. I'm a good person. How many times have you come across people and you're telling them, you know, you need to know Jesus. You're a sinner. You need to give your life to Jesus. And they tell you, no, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a good person. I give to charity. I love my wife. I take care of my children. I vote. I donate blood. I even go to places where there are disasters to help when there's a need. Okay, all right. All those things are good. But that's not the point. 
The point is that you have come short of the glory of God. We haven't come to that level where we can say, this is, this is who I am. And one of the things that is lost in the gospel today is the fact that we are afraid to tell people that they are sinners and they need saving. And so we come, we come with all kinds of good stuff. Jesus will bless you. Jesus will butter your bread. Jesus will put sugar in your tea. And if you are going to Africa and there is a mosquito in your net, Jesus will take care of it. And so a lot of people come to Christ with false conversions. I like the way a TV program puts it. It says like, you are in an aeroplane, and you go to somebody, and you say to them, you know, under your seat is this parachute. You know, put on this parachute, and it's, it's going to make your flight very comfortable. You know, things may happen, things may not happen, but just put it on because, you know, it makes you comfortable and all that, you know. And this person puts it, all right, if it's going to make my flight comfortable, I'll put on the parachute. So he puts on the parachute or she puts on the parachute and she's very inconvenient. She's very inconvenient in the, you know, you know because if she can't sit properly now, there's something hanging on, on their back. And, and after I was this is inconvenient, they put it away. This, this thing hasn't done what, the, what it says on the box. But if you go to somebody and you say to them, this airplane is going to crash. There's nothing you can do about it. And that's true. The airplane of your life is going to crash. Which means one day you are going to die. And I'm going to die. And the person says, this airplane is going to crash. You need this parachute because as soon as it crashes and you put on this parachute, it's going to spread out and you're just going to have a safe landing. Now, this person is going to put on that parachute whether it's convenient or inconvenient. Oh, you got it now. Yeah, that's what we, yeah. God has not called us to serve his son, Jesus Christ, because it's convenient. It is not convenient when you go to work and you say, God bless you to somebody, and then you face a disciplinary committee for saying, God bless you. Some of you may have heard in the news recently, uh, God Channel, they, 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 they've just bought a property, I think, in Bournemouth, and they were dedicating it. And in the night, one of those nights, Wayne Rooney was watching the program. And then he got on, on Twitter and tweeted, I'm watching this thing on God Channel. God bless you guys for the great work we are doing. Hallelujah. Wayne Rooney is my brother, you know. <laughs> Especially now that I've been told that he's just signed another deal with my United for 70 million pounds. Hallelujah. <laughs> and you know what happened to him? A lot of people got on Twitter and they began to ridicule him. What's Wayne doing in the middle of the night watching this crap thing? Why, why is he? And they shut him and shut him and shut him and shut him and shut him down. And the poor guy went up there and deleted the tweet.
So let's pray for him. Amen. And later on he said, well, I've never hidden my faith. I'm a Catholic. Amen. Thank God for the move of God in the, among the charismatic Christians. Amen. Our charismatic Catholics. God is doing a great move among them. Amen. So let's keep praying for them. Let's pray for Wayne Rooney also. Amen. That will come to know Jesus. And there's going to come a time in his life when no matter what kind of hit he gets on Twitter, he will still put it on there. I am saved by grace. Hallelujah. The world is shooting us all the time. They are trying to get us to retreat. But when I read my Bible and see what God has done for me through his son Jesus Christ, I've got to rise up within me and say no retreat and no surrender. If I come to understand that I'm part of God's purposes in this life, as a member of the church of Jesus Christ, that I'm important to God and to Christ, there can be no retreat and there can be no surrender. And it wasn't that Jesus Christ didn't warn us that it's going to be inconvenient like the parachute. In this world, you have persecutions, he said. And so where did we get this gospel of if we are facing difficulties and challenges in our lives, especially for the sake of the gospel, then our faith is not strong enough. What a load of rubbish. Faith that is not tested is not faith at all. We don't stand up for God when everything is okay. We stand up for Jesus and for what we believe when everything is not okay. And thank God he's still accomplishing great and mighty things in our midst. I was so delighted to hear about the 75-year-old preacher who usually stands in front of a court here in, London, in England and preach, and he was arrested by a police woman. And they took him to court. And the judge said, what a load of rubbish. Let him go and pay his costs. And I said, amen to that, hallelujah. Oh, yes. Such news, such news never make the main, mainstream media. But if he was sent to jail, oh, yes, it's front page news. And those are the challenges that we face as Christians. And Paul, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, says, let me tell you who you are. You are loved by God. Before the foundation of the world, you are in his purposes. He's adopted you into his family through the blood of his son. He paid a terrible price for you. And he gave you, he gave you all of his power. And then raised us up to sit with Christ in the heavenly places. Then he comes to chapter 2. And then he begins to tell us. Well, those, those are the things that happened to you in eternity past. But let me tell you something now. Paul was saying here. He says, God made you alive. You were dead. You were dead in your sins and in your trespasses. I, I was a sinner. I was dead. There was no life of God. I was spiritually dead. Spiritual death is similar to physical death. When somebody dies physically, they cannot respond to any kind of love, any kind of stimuli. No, they cannot. 
You can kick them. You can pinch them. You can stab them. They cannot respond. You can love them. You can caress them. You can hold them lovingly. You can plaster their faces with, with kisses, a thousand kisses. You can give them the greatest gift on earth. They will still not respond. Why? Because they are dead. And when you are spiritually dead, you cannot respond to the love of God. And Paul says, God loved us with great love and great mercies. And that mercy and that love drew you into the kingdom. And I want to say to you, listening to me today, that there's nothing you can ever do that can make God stop loving you. Oh, yes. That was why Paul was praying for them in, in, from, uh, in chapter 1, from verse 15, and saying, I'm praying that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and, and revelation in the knowledge of him, that your eyes of understanding will be enlightened, because these things that I'm going to tell you are going to blow your mind, and it will be very, very difficult for you to believe. You know, I came to a conclusion that if the church is at the center of God's plan, then there's much that we've been given and there's much that is expected from us. And for now, thank God for different expressions of the body of Christ that are light and salt in our world. Thank God for the different expressions that are still like the city that is set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. But generally... When you take a look at the church of Jesus Christ, it seems to me personally that we are on the retreat, not on the advance. And I began to ask myself questions. Why? And I asked myself, is it because we are not believers? Oh, yes, we are believers. We believe in God. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship him. We sing to him. We adore him. What is the problem? I found the problem, especially in my own situation, because I know I am a believer and I am saved by grace and the mercies of God. I know I'm saved. Why am I not walking on water? Why am I still intimidated by some things in this life? Why do I retreat sometimes in the face of the battle? And I came to a conclusion that generally, generally speaking, I'm putting everybody in the same box now as the church of Jesus Christ. This may be different for you individually. But I'm putting us in the same box today. And I'm saying, I found out that it wasn't that Peter believed more than others. That was why he walked on water. No, it was just one thing. He trusted Christ more. Everybody in the boat believed in Jesus. They were his disciples. They believed in him. They believed. They, they had Peter say, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And he said, Peter, well done. Flesh and blood has not given you that revelation. But my father in heaven has given it to you. And I'm going to build my church upon this revelation that I am the Messiah. I am the savior of the world. And so that day when they were in the boat and the storm came, and, uh, and they, they, they saw Jesus walking on, on the water. Uh, they said, it's a ghost. No, so said, I'm not, it's not a ghost, it's me. They believed that it was him. But Peter needed to test it out. He said, Lord, if it is you, ask me to come on the water. And now, you know, sometimes if we don't understand the background, 
Because in my opinion, Peter was a very, 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 very foolish man. <laughs> Desiring to walk on water. But Peter knew why he said, Lord, if it is you, ask me to come. Because Peter, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, has got the basic understanding of who a disciple is. A disciple of a rabbi is, a, is somebody who is able to do what the rabbi is able to do. That's the understanding that Peter has got. No wonder Paul was praying for us in Ephesians from verse 15, chapter 1, from, that we will have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge, in the knowledge, in the knowledge of Christ. That I may know him, Paul said. Excuse me, you've just been to the third heavens and back. You saw Jesus Christ shining brighter than the noonday. And you still want to know him. What kind of knowledge are you asking for? It's intimate knowledge. It is the knowledge that is different from knowing about him and knowing him. And I think the church is not getting to know Christ more and more. We are delighted for people to tell us about him. Excuse me. Not finding out ourselves. No, no. We must dive deep in to know him the more. To know him the more. To have the knowledge of what he has done for us. I've been stuck in Ephesians for almost eight months. Because somebody said, the book of Ephesians is the bank of the believer. The book of Ephesians is the treasure house of the believer. And I'm reading in chapter one, everything that God has done for me before he even created the world. Blessed me with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. I'm a rich guy and I don't even know it. I'm a powerful human being and I don't even know it. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly places and I don't even know it. And I'm saying, I have an idea about what that is. Oh, now I need to move to a place where I begin to trust on the word of God. And Paul says in chapter 2, in case you've forgotten where you are from and why God in Christ, brought you into his household as his child. Let me tell you. He said, you were dead in your sins and in your trespasses. You were a dead person. You were on your way to hell. There was no hope for you in this world. You thought you were doing your own thing. In those days when we were partying all over the place, nightclubs, women, smoking, drinking, doing all sorts of things, and we thought... I'm in charge of my own life. No, you're not. Paul says you are under the control and the influence of the prince, the demon power, the spirit of the air. You are actually being controlled by a demon and you don't even know it. But if you are born again, that was your past. Hallelujah. If I am saved, that was my past. That was my past. God, in his great mercy and his great love, reached down and took me from the gutter of life. Hallelujah. And he saved me. He took me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now the question is, why? Here in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, we were saved from death, that is sin. Because God said to Adam and Eve in Genesis, when you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. And we know they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually because God stopped working with them. Their connection with God was broken. Hallelujah. 
that, that young lady, that young baby was just dedicated. By the sin of Adam and Eve, she was born in sin. There's going to come a time in her life when daddy and mommy will give her chocolate and say, can I have it? But I said, no, mine. The question is, where did she like it? Where did she learn, learn that from? It's a nature in us. Where does a child learn to tell lies? It's a nature in us. You don't tell lies because you are a, you are a liar. You are a liar and therefore you tell lies. You're not a murderer because you killed somebody. You killed somebody because there's a nature to murder in you. What? That's the, that's the significance of being dead. Being under the control of the prince of the power of the air. Those guys who were shooting that young man down, when Rooney, they thought they were being cool. Yeah, in their sins and in their trespasses. They have no understanding of why that young man stood, you know, was sitting down in the night saying, I love what God Channel is doing in Bournemouth. Hallelujah. They couldn't understand it because they were, they were blinded by the God of this world. They are dead in their sins and in their trespasses. To be dead is not to be able to respond to the love of God. So Paul says we were saved from sin, from death. And then we were given eternal life, life everlasting, <laughs> life everlasting. My chains are gone, I've been set free, hallelujah. I am already saved unto eternal life, hallelujah, amen. And then he says, through faith, each and every one of us has a measure of faith given to us. Because we cannot be saved unless we apply faith. So you have faith to be saved. What you do with it is your business. God will never ask you to be saved through faith if he has not given you the avenue to be saved. You have to exercise it. Hallelujah. Then Paul says, unto good works. Pastor Collins said, we walk in the church sometimes. It's just that we don't do the work of the church. We are his workmanship. God crafted us uniquely for the work of the church. What is the work of the church? Go and make disciples of all nations. It is good to serve in the church. Thank God for our consolidators. Thank God for those men and women with the red hand saying, after the service, please come. Thank God for our intercessors. Thank God for our ushers. Thank God for every area that we serve in the church of Jesus Christ, in the children's church, in the coroner, every worship leaders, um, our choir. Thank God. But we have to do the work of the church. We are working in the church, but we must do the work of the church. Paul says we've been saved from death into life through faith unto good works. How? By the mercies and the grace, and the love of our God. The love of our God. <laughs> and that love is made manifest when you look at the cross of Calvary. No wonder we call it amazing love. That God will not spare his own son to show us how much he loves you and how much he loves me, even when we were unlovable. Hallelujah. 
recently I had on the news, on the radio. I was listening to a radio program. And two people were being interviewed. A brother and a sister in the Met, Metropolitan Police. And the thing was that this, the man, who is the brother, went to for a regular routine check in the hospital. And the doctors told him that he's got a few days or a few months at most to leave because his kidneys have packed up. He got out of the hospital and placed a call to his sister, who is also in the police force. And the sister said, what have I got to do? And when? To cut the long story short, she gave her brother one of her kidneys. The uh, surgery went very well. Both of them are back on the beat. And so now they've been invited to the studio to talk about it. And the brother said, I owe my sister this debt for life. And he said... This is a time in a human's life that thank you is not good enough. It's not only that I'm back doing the work that I love to do and I enjoy to do. It's that I'm actually alive. And it's because my sister will spare one of her kidneys. And as I heard that, my mind went to my savior. Who walked into that hospital bed when I was lying down the slab and the doctors were telling me, there's no hope for you in this world. Spiritually, I'm speaking now. There's no hope for you in this world. And God the Father said to God the Son, I said, what are you going to do about it? And Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior, came and said, doctor, I will give him one of my kidneys. And the doctor said, no, you don't understand. His heart is bad. His lungs are bad. All of his eternal organs are dead and stinking. They're already rotting away. There's, there's, unless you want to give him everything you've got, including your blood, there's no hope for him. And Jesus said, that's exactly what I'm saying. Oh, thank God for the sister who gave her kidney. But thank God for our master who gave it all. He gave it all. Every drop of his blood, he gave it all. He took your heart that is horrible and gave you a new heart. He took my heart that is disgusting and gave me a new heart. He took my dead kidneys and gave me a new one. He took my heart and my kidneys and my lungs and gave me a new life. He gave his very life for me. Every drop of his blood he made available to me. That's why I love Jehovah God. That is why. That is why as his church, when he says jump, we say, how high, Lord? Can you imagine that brother sitting down in his house day before yesterday when the winds were boisterous and the sister calls and says, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in my, in my Scott car. The flood is rising. I need you to get a boat and come and rescue me. I, can you, the, the brother says, 
my dear sister, you know, I love you. You gave me your kidney, but right now it's really very inconvenient. <laughs> do you think the brother would do that? No, I don't think so. I don't think so because with his mouth he said, I owe my sister a debt for life. I will never be able to pay this debt. I can't say anything because thank you is not good enough. And sometimes we think, oh, okay, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. But now, excuse me, thank you is not good enough. Thank you is not good enough. Paul says he called us through faith unto good works. The works that is produced in our lives, not because we want to make heaven, but because we are responding to the one who gave it all in love. He loved us with a great love. We are responding to that love. That is the church of Jesus Christ. A people who understand the love of God. A people who know that God has a master plan. And the master plan is the church. And you and I, we are the church. We are God's master plan. We are his workmanship. We are the ones that, he, through us, he wants to show his manifold, manifold, multifaceted wisdom to the principalities and powers. Through us, he wants to show his great kindness, his mercies, his love, and his grace to a dying world. We have no excuse because he gave it all. Because he gave it all. And so I call you today to the work of the church. I call you by the message of God to respond, not out of legalism, not out of works. No, we are not part of a religion that says, if my good works outweighs my bad works, or if the goods that I do outweighs my bad that I do, then I will make it into heaven. No, if you are blood washed, if you are saved, if you are sanctified by the blood of the Lamb, if you've given your life to Jesus, you are already saved. You are going to heaven. Oh, you might say to me, what if I become a sinner tomorrow? No, you can't become a sinner tomorrow. Because the nature of sin has been taken out of you. We were dead. We were people who were wallowing in our sins and in our trespasses. We enjoyed sin. Oh yes, we enjoyed sin. You and I enjoyed sin before we were saved. But if we are really saved, today sin will stink to you. To a Christian, sin stinks to you. Oh yes, you may have a habit, or you may even have a particular sin that you are struggling against. Every time that happens in your life, you have this, this feeling in you that makes you uncomfortable. And it's because you have a conscience through which the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, as a child of God, no, 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 no. And that's why you run back to the foot of the cross. And you say, Jesus, help me. But I tell you, there's no saved child of God that enjoys sin. You can. If you're still enjoying sin, <laughs> So there's no way you are going to have this assurance that Jesus has saved you and then you're going to say, now I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and become a prostitute. I'm going to go and become a pedophilia. Now I need to be a drug smuggler because I know I'm going to heaven. Sorry. Your parachute has just malfunctioned. Because grace is not a license for sin. Grace is an enablement 
to overcome sin. He said, it was grace. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, the songwriter says. Grace taught my heart to fear. Fear what? Fear a God that will love me so much and cause his son to die. The most cruel form of death for this thing. I don't think I can understand John 3.16 until the day I get to heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's a miracle. Being on this platform, preaching to the people of God is a miracle. I remember when I gave my life to Christ, my older brother who knew me very well said to me, praise, I give you six months. You will be back. I know the reason why you gave your life to Christ. You are broke. And I'm very sure, I am very sure, when you have a little bit of money in your pocket, you'll be back partying in the nightclubs and doing all those things that I know you enjoy to do. But he was wrong. Because the Lord of glory, hallelujah. Because my Lord and my Savior has ransomed me. He bought me back from my head to my toes. He bought me with his blood. And when he saved me, he saved me soundly. Hallelujah. Now, sin stinks to me. And that's why I'm challenged. I am challenged. I am encouraged. I am challenged, I am encouraged that I've got to walk. I've got to walk according to my calling. And I'm not talking about being called to be a preacher. I'm talking about being called out of sin into eternal life. Being called out of darkness into light. Like you are called also to be Jesus' ambassador in this life. That is the church of Jesus Christ. That's why it's a horrible thing. For any one of us to talk about my ministry and my church, it cannot be yours if you didn't die for it. It was Jesus that died for his church. That's why he's the head of the church. Oh, the benefits are yours and mine. <laughs> According to Ephesians 1.22, God gave him to be head over all things for the benefit of his church. Oh, the benefits are yours. The benefits are mine. But there is a purpose. There is a purpose. God has a purpose. He wants his church to work for him. Because we are his master plan. I call you today by the message of God to be part of that master plan. If God has called you to be part of us in this house. God has placed you here for a time as such as this. He's called you to be in a church that the prophecy and the word of God has come upon. Not just that the, 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 the latter house, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former, as we heard before. But also that we must become the most effective disciple-making church in Europe to fulfill the call of God upon our lives. Will you come and join us? Will you come and be part of what God is doing through us? 
Oh yes, it's a parachute that when you sit down, it's not, it's not, com it's not comfortable most of the time. It's not comfortable most of the time to go to get out of your house in winter and go and visit a new, a new believer. If you're living in the north of London, you have to go to the south of London in winter. It's not sometimes convenient when you keep calling somebody on the phone and they, they say, sorry, who? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I'm the sister that spoke to you last week in Sun Sunday. Where? <laughs> you know, in the church in Notting Hill Gate, in, you know, in Notting Hill what? Oh, yes, thank you, my sister is real. But Jesus didn't give up on us, did he? And he's never going to give up on you. He's never going to give up on me. And so our work demands that we don't give up on anybody. We don't give up on them. It's sometimes challenging because that's the work we've been called to do. To be the church. And thank God that we are gradually becoming what we already are. We are already called to build the church. We are already the church, but we are growing into it. And it takes work. It takes hard work. Oh, my, my brothers and sisters, it's easy. It's very easy to come and preach a motivational message to you today. And say to you, hallelujah, the anointing is here right now. How many of you need to be more time millionaires tomorrow? All you need to do, ushers, can you hand out the envelope right now? I want you to sow 2,000 pounds into this ministry. Hallelujah. And by this time tomorrow, you'll be swimming in money. <laughs> Even an idiot can do that. <laughs> no. But it takes time to sit down with somebody and take them through who they are now in Christ. How they've been given a new life, a new hope. Uh, you need to go and ask Pastor Colin <laughs> how long it took him to get one person into the kingdom. And now he has to consolidate the man. And he's the senior minister of this church. And every day, at, you know, every week in our primary 12 meeting, he's lamenting. This guy's got so many questions. Because the guy was so, so badly distorted up here and now God has done a tremendous work in his life he's given his life to Jesus because he knows Jesus is the only way a lot of people think that we as Christians we are arrogant by saying Jesus is the only way no we are not arrogant it's not some foolish pride what about other people are you now saying they're going to go to hell your God sends people to hell no our God does not send people to hell People choose to go to hell. When you look at what he has done for you and you ignore it. I'm sorry, there's no, there's no other way. There's no other way. There was no other way for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knelt down there and said, Father, can you make this cup pass over me? Is there no other way? But then he quickly he said, not my will, but your will. Oh, in a couple of months, Easter is coming. We'll be watching again the passion of the Christ. Please take a look at the whipping pole again. Take a look at what he suffered at the whipping pole. Take a look at what he suffered on the cross. He paid a great price. For you and I to have the assurance that we're going to make heaven. He gave his blood, his kidney, his heart. He gave it all. For us to be his representatives here.
And all he's asked us to do is to go and tell people what he has done. This is the good news. Go tell people the good news. And we are not the church if we are not telling the good news. And why are we not telling the good news? Because it's not convenient. 75-year-old man was arrested for preaching the gospel in front of a court. He's 75. He could have sat down at home and said, Lord, thank you for everything I did from the time I gave my life to Christ, age 18, to the time I became 55 and I retired. Now let the younger ones carry on the walk. Hallelujah. I'm now sitting in my rocking chair. <laughs> no. His life challenged me. His life encouraged me. He's 75. He's, not, he's willing to be arrested and put in handcuffs and thrown into, into jail. For the love of Jesus. Oh no, no brothers and sisters. He's not a fanatic. He's not a fundamentalist Christian. No, he's a man who is looking at the dying world and says to Jesus, I am your hand. I am your feet. There are people who need to hear what you've got to say to them. In this London, with our multiculturalism, our population, our, our large, there are still people who are lonely because they don't know Jesus. I am your voice. I am your hand. I am everything. I am your body. And I've got to tell them about you. His life challenged me. No, he's not a fanatic. Neither is Wayne Rooney a fanatic. We've got to be the church. We are his master plan. Oh, come on, people of God, let's join together and be the church in our dying world. Let's be the city that is set upon the hill that cannot be hidden. Let's be the arm and the legs of Jesus. Oh, please don't come back on March, 7, on March 8 and, said, and say to the people here, oh, I should have brought people to the three witnesses. It will be too late. No, the three witnesses are coming Friday, the 7th of March. Bring your neighbor. Pay their price. Pay their, their tube fare. Put them in a taxi. Do whatever you ought to do to let them see Christ. Let them see Christ. Bring them. And you know, Jesus Christ did not leave us without the ability to do what he's called us to do. He said to the disciples, you have to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you can go and be my witnesses. He's given us the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our teacher, our counselor. He's raised us up. I don't know in any other religion in the world because we are not really religious people. We are just people who are in a relationship with God. Who their God has lifted them, lifted them up to his own height. We cross between this world and, eternal, and, and, the, and eternity. You are seated here in this church right now, this afternoon, and also you are in heaven because you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Now that may sound a little bit confusing, but it's not confusing at all because we are spirit, we are soul, and we are, we are body. Our spirit communes with God. If you want to serve God, you must serve him in truth and in spirit. Our spirit communes. That's the avenue of prayer. Through prayer, we, we ascend to the hill of the Lord. We stand in his holy place. We are privileged people. Not withstanding what the world is saying. We are privileged people. We are people who have been called by God before the foundation of the world. We are people who must now begin to trust God. You believe God? <laughs> the Bible says even the demons believe and they tremble. We must move on to something. 
is trusting God. When he says he's going to make a way for you, that's exactly what he means. When he says you are, my, you, are the Lord, you are the salt and the light of the world, that's exactly what he means. Now you and I must now stand up and walk on the world and say, I am going to be salt. I am going to be light in my community, in myself, in everywhere I go. I am going to be what Jesus has called me to be. And when we gather together as his church, we become unconquerable. Because how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the anointing oil that is upon the head of Aaron. Where God finds unity, he commands the blessing. And I pray that the blessings of God will be upon you today. The blessing of being part of the church of Jesus Christ will be upon you today. That as you go away from here today, you go away with an understanding and the knowledge that you are part of the kingdom of God. And that the power of the kingdom dwells and rests in you. Bow down your heads, let's pray. Let's pray. We were dead in our sins and in our trespasses. I want everybody's eyes to be closed, all heads bowed down in prayer. And I want to make a call. So you, you are here today. You have not at any time in your life acknowledged the fact that you are a sinner. That you are born a sinner. And that you need a savior. Because a sinner needs a savior. When you are dead in your sins and your trespasses, you don't, you don't just need a kidney. You need the whole works. And only Jesus can give that to you. He wants to call you from eternal death into life through his love, by his grace. He wants to call you to a purpose. And this call is for you. You have not at any point in your life acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You have not confessed to him that you are a sinner and that you need to be saved. If you die tonight, are you going to go to heaven? You are somebody who has sinned against his love. If I were to be driving a car today and I hit a small boy, the judge might send me to prison and I've paid my dues to society, but have I paid my dues to the mother of that child? It's not only that we break God's laws, like I breaking the speed limit and killing somebody. It's that I've sinned against his love. I've sinned against his son. And that's the problem of sin. And if that is you here today, you are not under condemnation. You are not under judgment. You are not under any kind of abuse at all. But I'm calling you to grace and to mercy and to love. If that is you here this morning, you want to give your life to Christ in the coronet, on the internet, in the overflow behind me, and downstairs in the lower hall. You want Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior and your friend and everything to you. I just want you to lift up your hand right now. I will acknowledge it, and then you can put it down. Once I call you where you are sitting, you can put it down. Somebody's coming to stand beside you. They're already standing. Consolidators are standing. You want to give your life to Christ today. You want to move from darkness into light. You want to be sure that if you are to die tonight, you are going to heaven. Please put that hand up. Jesus Christ said, if you are ashamed of me in this life, I'll be ashamed of you before my father. There's nothing to be ashamed of. I'm calling you to mercy, to grace, to love, to power. I'm calling you from sin into eternal life. Put that hand up. Consolidators, please help me. If there's anybody I'm not saying. Jesus loves you. That's why he came to die for you. He's calling you into that love. Thank you. Thank you. There's a sister right there in front of me. Thank you. God bless you. Any other person? Please lift that hand up high so that I can see it. And once I see it, you can put it down. Hallelujah. Leave the hand up. Leave the hand up. There's somebody. There's still somebody. There's one person. At least one person left. 
You don't want to go out of here today without coming into the love of God. Come into his embrace. Thank you, my brother. God bless you. Any other person before I pray, any other person before I pray, please don't be ashamed. Jesus is not ashamed. He's not ashamed. He's taking away your shame and your pain and your sorrow. There's a young man over there. Let's acknowledge him. Amen. There's a little boy there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the balcony, upstairs, in the coronet, put up those hands. Put up those hands. One more time, I'm making the call. Don't go out of here today without acknowledging Jesus, without coming to his love and his embrace. Hallelujah. There's somebody else there that's a brother in the jacket that God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to give you one more second. One more second. Uh, please, please acknowledge Jesus today. Let him come into your life as your Lord and Savior. Let him come into your life as your Lord and Savior. Any other person, any other person in this place, let us pray. Father, I want to thank you for the brothers and the sisters that have lifted up their hands. Father, we pray that their walk will start with you today. Let them come into your love and into your embrace and into your grace in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Let the reality of what Jesus did for them on the cross of Calvary, let it become open and real to them in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for every other person under the sound of my voice. I pray, Lord, that may we come into the knowledge of who we are in Christ. May we come to the knowledge of who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. May we come to the knowledge of what Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary. And let our lives never remain the same to the glory of your name. For we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And the people of God say, Amen. Amen. God bless you.